This is the Eric Francis Show, brought to you by Horse Racing Alberta on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Welcome to the Eric Francis Show. It's homecoming week here in Calgary. Matthew Kachuk returns to the Dome tomorrow night. Sean Monahan on Thursday night. Who will get the bigger ovation? Who is the one more, more likely to get booed? <laughs> That's a loaded question. The Flames return from their trip on the weekend. A six-gamer, two wins, three losses, an overtime point. They've lost three in a row. Scoring's an issue. Goaltending's an issue. We could debate all day long which is the bigger issue, but at the end of the day, the team seems close, but nothing's coming easy for these guys right now. We have two great guests again today, two great storytellers. We're going to start the show with Chris Versteeg, and then we're going to move in the second half to Pat Steinberg. You know him. You love him. But I don't want to talk to him about the power play. I don't want to be like the callers after a game who've got hot takes on everything to do with the team. I want to take everyone on a journey through his career so we can know a little bit more behind the man behind the mic. Because I, I think his his career tra- tra- trajectory is fantastic. And uh, I obviously think he's a great broadcaster, and you know him and you love him, and uh, I want to I go a little bit behind the scenes with him. So we'll do that. But we're going to kick off the show with Chris Versteeg. He's a two-time Stanley Cup winner with Chicago. He played over 700 games with seven teams, including stops in L.A. under Daryl Sutter. Played in Calgary, as we all remember, Carolina, Toronto, Philadelphia, and Florida. He's also an entrepreneur who has a new endeavor that hockey parents will be definitely interested in hearing about. And Chris joins me now on the Atlas Pizza guest hotline. I'm not sure why I think of you as a flyer because you only played 27 games there, but when I flew into Philadelphia last week, I thought of Chris Versteeg. I'm not sure why, uh, but, uh, you know, and I I thought, you know what, let's get him on the show. He's a great storyteller. He's got lots of connections with the current Flames team. And, uh, and he also has a new venture that I want to talk about as well. But first, I want to get into uh, your thoughts on, on, on Philadelphia, because it's not just your average sports town, is it, Chris? It's not. And don't remind the Philadelphia fans about me. Um, I think they always complain about the first-round draft pick they threw away on Chris Verstegen. <laughs> they may have a point, um, but yeah. <laughs> Philadelphia was it, it was a good time. It was an interesting time. Uh, the biggest thing I did learn about is how hardcore and and intense their sports fans are. I mean, I remember going to the Stanley Cup Finals Game Five. There's probably 500 to a thousand people outside our hotel with like um, you know billboards of like you know you're gonna die. You know, saying stuff. It was, it was crazy. There's like a mannequin with his head chopped off. You know, like and they're holding it up while we're walking on wow. the bus. It was just just wild and then so you got to see that kind of intensity and then in the building the fans were going nuts and crazy but uh and they were loud and then when i was with the flyers you know it'd be three in the morning we would land and there'd be anywhere from 100 to 200 fans sometimes 50 sometimes 10 but upwards standing at the airport cheering you on as you got off the plane and got in your car to drive home at one two three in the morning in the freezing rain or snow whatever it may be that is amazing i mean you got to admire their passion. I know they joke about how they boo Santa Claus at the parade, but uh, I do, I really just felt, and I hadn't been to Philadelphia for a handful of years, and just every time I go back there, I just reminded of 
there's just this aura of it being a great sports town. Great fans is debatable, but 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 they're they're definitely there all the time. Okay, <laughs> you you have great great connections with this Calgary Flames roster, um, and so that's that's where I want to start with this. You know, Matthew Kachuk returns to Calgary tomorrow night. I'm I'm fascinated what you think the reception will be. And, and also, I want to get your thoughts on what do you think the reception should be. Yeah, it, it is interesting, right? You had a guy who, who gave everything he had every night. He, he wears his heart on his sleeve. He's a passionate player. He's very upfront, and, and he's got swagger. So I think he brought a lot of that to your team. He gave your team a certain identity. I know he did when I was there, a team that you know he was hated to be played against. Um, and also in the room, he was a guy that you know you respected and liked. But... He gave a lot to the Calgary Flames, so I do definitely think that the fans um, can give him a clap for everything he's done, and he's a great friend of mine, Kachuk, but also, you know, for the way it ended and the way he wanted out to go to somewhere new in the States, and I mean, I don't argue with that either at times, but um, I definitely think he's going to be in for a, a loud boo call, and and I mean, it, it could be like, it should be like that, because he meant that much to the franchise that if you're willing to leave... Um, especially in the prime of your career, to go somewhere else. And if you've meant that much to a team, if you come back and they don't boo, then you didn't do your job for that team, I would assume. So he's done a lot for the Calgary Flames, the organization, and I would expect it to be a, a boisterous crowd at the Saddle Dome. I think boisterous is a really good way of putting it. Like, it'll be mixed. I think largely it's going to be supportive i mean six years this guy i would say in the last 30 years i don't know anyone who's coming in through this team this town and been as uh you know a bit of a as much of a lightning rod for controversy but also been so important for the team i mean he was one of the league's best players last year and he was going to be the captain of this team had he decided to stay so i I know with every breakup there's always emotion and people will always feel jilted but i think that it'll start with a very nice, you know, re, re, you know, applause when he starts the game and they do the video tribute. But I think by the end of the night, kind of like Jonathan Huberto when they were in Florida last week, he was getting booed before the shootout. And this is the guy who's never irked anybody in the league. Matthew Kachuk by night's end will do enough, I think, to infuriate these people cool. by the end of the night. That's exactly it. I didn't even know how to answer that question at the start because I start to think about it. I'm like, yeah, he definitely deserves, you know, some attention and and some clapping and some cheering, but then he's also going to get the other side, right? And it depends what he does in the game. And as you said, he's a lightning rod. Who's he going to elbow first? Who's he going to hit after the whistle first? Who's he going to slash after the whistle? What's he going to do? Is something going to happen in warm-up? Something's coming. We all know it. And nobody knows it more than Matt. And... I mean, I would. I love to see it. It's entertaining. That's what it is. It's sports. So again, if if you're a player that meant that much to a team and you leave in the prime of your career and you're getting booed, you know you played pretty damn good for that team for quite a while. Yeah, bit of a feather in his cap. And I, I spoke to Matthew yesterday, and uh, in anticipation of tomorrow's game. And one of the questions I asked him was um, about the slap shot in the shootout in Florida. He winds up at the hash marks with a clapper. You don't see that a lot. I want to ask you, he, he said it was just a move that he tried on Markstrom in practice over the years. I'm not sure I buy it. I think there was a little more to it than just something he thought would work. How about you? Do you think it had anything to do with the fact that this guy's all about theatrics and that's just not something you normally see? A hundred percent. If he comes down 
on a breakaway and a penalty shot, and he's taking a slap shot, it's to drive the point home, right? There's always yeah. something else to it. And I agree with that. That's and that's probably what I would do too, to be honest with you. And I think <laughs> in the way the reason I think he did that is because that's how I think too, in a way, right? Like what way could I drive the point home that, you know, I'm you know, that I made the right decision or I'm doing the right thing and you know, and I'm the best player in the deal or whatever it may be, right? That's just the way he thinks, I, I believe, and, and I that's why you love him as a teammate and that's why I love him as a person and I'm I'm great friends with him. But I truly think it was to drive the point home. I mean, I think about players like Marion Hosa, the guy that I played with he would come down on the breakaway and take slap shots. And I'd be like, man, is that like, why are you doing that? He goes, cause I have no other move. That's it. <laughs> like I've never scored on a deep. So I got to slap it. I'm like, Oh, fair enough. But Matthew Kachuk, uh, Kachuk, I believe it was. Yeah. It was a whole different thing. You come down there and you wire a clapper to win the game. That's setting. Uh, that's, that's just putting it over. That's setting a, a tone or, or doing what you need to do and hammering home a point. Mm-hmm. He said he would have liked to have scored on that goal more than anything in the world. Uh, yeah, but obviously, Markstrom made the save. When when they played last, there was a, you know, you're watching so closely, and fans here will be watching it too on Tuesday night. Every scrum, every gathering, and he's often in the middle of them, you're just watching to see, is he grabbing a guy who he, he used to be good friends with? And at one point, him and Noah Hannafin had kind of just grabbed each other. Nothing was said. But in those moments, because you've played, I mean, you were on, what, seven different teams in those moments when you're playing against guys, especially when they're really good friends, is anything ever said? Do you joke? Or is it literally business as usual and he's did done something to piss you off and, and it's battle lines drawn? Yeah, it's, it's a little bit of both. You know, I played against guys that I played a long time with, Dustin Bufflin. I remember every scrum I would get in, I would get a slash in the back of the legs, a slash <laughs> on the on the laces, and then a, maybe a sucker punch, right? And again, he's 280 pounds. <laughs> And I get a sucker punch from him. Again, if it's a light one, it's still like a it's like me winding up and decking someone. So he wouldn't ever play lighter on his friends. If anything, he played harder. And that would be the same thing after that. I was like, screw it. I'm going in to slash buff in the back of the legs. And there's a bunch of video out there of me and him. It looks like we're laughing. It's because we are. But he's actually trying to hurt me. He's actually <laughs> trying to hurt me a little bit. And that's just how it is with your buddies. You know how to irk them. You know how to get under their skin. And you definitely want to one-up them. So there is that sense of you're coming back. Again, Matt's going to come back. He's going to do things. He's going to try to irk people. Maybe guys are going to try to irk him back or get at him. And that's just something, you know, when I've come back and played all my friends or you're playing someone, uh, you try to do. Yeah, sometimes you're up, off the face-off. Uh, you're talking with them and joking around, but you know Daryl Sutter is the coach. I think that is the last thing he'd want to see, so I can't see that happening too much from the Calgary point of view. Joel Quenville was a little lighter on that. He'd always let us, you know, say something to the guys and warm up, or if you saw an old teammate or something, hey, how's it going? How's the family? Daryl Sutter does not let that happen. No, <laughs> so I, I can't. I can't see that happening too much. But uh, every coach is different, and I know. I mean. I would be lying to you if I said if I wasn't on the ice and never joked around to some of my best friends of the game. Yeah, you're the kind of guy for sure that would. We're, we're talking to Chris Versteeg uh, about a number of different things, including the Calgary Flames, with, with which he's got so many connections. And I want to go there about Daryl. You know, you played with him in L.A., and Lucic was there at the same time. What is, what is, it go, what is this team going through right now? They're in a bit of a tailspin. Come back 2-3-1 and one on a six-game road trip, lost three in a row. Uh, what is this like if you're a player on a Daryl Sutter team right now? Yeah, 
that stressful. Um, you're coming to the building. Uh, you know you're – I mean, I have no other way to put it. You're uh, – again, losing on any NHL team, if you're having a hard time and you're with any coach, um, maybe coffee breaks, they're not asking how your day's going. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, at the, you know, you go get a coffee in the morning, you see them at the, the coffee machine, there's no, hey, how's it going? It's just a quick head nod and move or leave. That's, uh, that's probably a lot of it right now is I'm sure guys are coming to the rink. Maybe some are on pins and needles. Maybe some don't know what's really going to be said in the media. And I've played for Daryl, and I'm, I'm, close, I'm really close friends with the Sutter brothers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I bought their hockey school. I know them extremely well. Um, and Daryl definitely has had to morph his ways in order to keep staying in the league. I do question a couple things right now at the moment, maybe the playing time of Jonathan Huberto. I know it's been up a slight bit since coming up. Has it been up? It has. Been. A it little bit, and he, and he keeps talking bit. about how he wants to keep upping it, yep. It, it has to get up way more, in my opinion. If you're going to want to have a player who's getting over 100 points a year and you're keeping him at 15 to 17 minutes, it won't happen. You just won't get the production you need. You won't get him into a, a rhythm. And that's what he needs to get into is a rhythm. He needs to feel it every night. He needs to work through his mistakes. And, and that comes with getting a lot of ice time. So that's where I start to question it a little bit is, you know, Daryl, it, it's going to be stressful coming to the rink. Everyone's not playing their best every time. Some guys are holding their stick tight. Some guys aren't producing in the, in the middle of the lineup or the bottom of the lineup the way they should. But I think, again, it comes back to you got to get your horses going. Your horses are the most important piece of the team. What gets them going more than anything? It's ice time. Get them on the ice. Get Huberto on the ice. Get Lindholm. I know he gets his minutes. But get them on the ice together. Make them feel good. And the team should roll from there. The way you get out of the funk is rely on the guys that matter the most to the team. And I think that's what Daryl's just got to get to. Just roll them out. Do what you did with Goudreau. I know Goudreau went through a bit of it with Daryl. He had to go through the, you know, the 50 or 60 games of, you know, this is what I expect. But they don't have that time now. Right there, there isn't a 50 or 60 game uh, schedule. They they got to get into the playoffs. They got to win now. There's no, you know, let's feel it out for the rest of the season. Make him play the way I want him to play, and then go on. Daryl's just got to get Huberto over the boards as much as possible. Get him feeling good, and that will bleed to the rest of the team. So again, in room, I'm sure they're not feeling great, but they got to get him going. Now you know Huberto well. He lived with you his first year as a rookie in Florida when you were playing with him. Tell me about, you know, there was also an adjustment period when he was in his first year in the NHL as well. Yeah, just just an incredible guy, um, incredible kid at the time. So I remember, might have been 15 games in, he was probably fourth or fifth in rookie scoring. And every day I'd see him, he'd be looking at the stats. I'd be like, dude, what are you looking at? He's like, oh, I'm looking at, you know, Gallagher's here and Corey Connors here and, you know, and this guy's, I'm like, who cares about them? I'm like, you're, when you play, you're better than them all, right? And it's not even close. I'm like, stop looking at the stats. Stop caring about everyone else and care about what you can do and, and take care of your game. And I guess from there, he stopped looking at the stats. He ended up going on. He led the rookies in scoring. He won rookie of the year. And he talked about it a little bit in his rookie speech about that, that moment with me. And obviously, I'm, uh, I'm sure not all would say that I am just the best for advice, but I'm, I'll take that one and I'll put it as a feather in the cap. It felt pretty good to help a kid out, you know, who was struggling a little bit at the start of the season, focused on all the wrong areas, started to focus on what was right and what helped him take his game to the next level. And then from there, obviously, he's done his own learning and, and carving his own path, but he's a superstar uh, now. But at that time, just to get him over the hurdle, stop caring about everyone else and care about what you can control. 
It's the Eric Francis Show. We do it every Monday from 1 till 2 o'clock. Uh, our guest today, Christopher Stieg. And uh, I wanted to ask you about Markstrom as well because uh, he was a young goaltender in the league when you were in Florida as well. Did you see a path where he could end up being a star like he is? I, I know he's struggling right now, but did you, did you see this coming? Yeah, for sure. I remember how athletic he was at, at such a young age. I think he was 19 or 20. Dale Talon would always talk about this goalie we got from Sweden. He's six foot five, six six. He's uh, he's got insane athleticism for his height. Uh, at, at that time, I think the biggest thing with Marky was just focus, especially away from the rink, uh, understanding what it took to be a pro every day, coming every day focused and determined and ready uh, to play at the NHL level. He didn't have that in the Florida days. He went to Vancouver. I think he talked about some veterans there that got him kind of dialed in on what it took to be an NHLer, and obviously he's taken the next step, and now he's a premier goalie in the NHL. But I just remember a guy that was fun-loving, um, someone who I really love to be around, to enjoy to talk to. I still catch up with him here and there as we go. You know, the odd time we'll text here and there, see how he's going, or I'll, I'll message him on Instagram, see how he's doing and how life's going. But uh, overall, just an incredible person, an insane athlete, especially at the height he is, and a guy that, you know, he – he was on a good path, a good trajectory. Things didn't go the way he liked. He had to reassess, reevaluate what he needed to do. He did that, and give him credit, he did it. And now he's, again, he's a premier goalie in the league. Every guy's going to go through struggles and tough times in their career. He's not at the top of his game now, but if, if they're going to get going, they're going to get back to the way they can. The Flames are going to need Huberto and Markstrom, and that comes down to, again, the coaching, right? Get those guys feeling good. You can't keep them in, you know, you can't keep them down too much. These are the guys that are going to, you know, their success will bleed throughout the team. You're a, you're a guy who's, you're from Lethbridge. That's well documented. You've moved to Whitby now and you're doing all sorts of stuff. We'll get into your new venture because I think it's really cool. But you watch these Calgary Flames still either as a broadcaster or just as, a, as an Alberta boy. What do you think their biggest issue is right now? Is it, you know, obviously they're not scoring that much and they're also not saving the puck as much what to you is the number one issue this team's facing right now yeah it, it's the the ability to create uh throughout their entire lineup right the guys that are you know finding space on the ice to create offense the guys that are giving each other options it just seems like they're the guy with the puck doesn't have enough options when he has it in order to facilitate it the guys are just you know whether it's uh, a line rush and two guys are going with their head down to the net, right? That's okay, and you're going to get the shot there, but there's no other guy figuring out how to get open, find options. I think the offense is an issue, especially in the middle of the lineup. You talk about they don't have the depth that some teams do. or I mean, they think they do, and they're, they're not getting scoring from some of them, but the options it always comes down to. Where are the other guys on the ice? What are they doing to get open? Uh, and who has the puck? How much freedom do they have in order to execute or create that play? So, again, I think they're going to have to be a little more creative. They're going to have to create a little bit more options. That's going to have to come from coaching, right? What, what are we doing on line rushes? What are we doing in ozone? How are we creating plays from behind the net? What is going on? and kind of look at it as a whole, and where can we start to exploit teams? I think the Calgary Flames, they've always looked to do it from keeping the puck in, hemming teams in, right? Five on five is kind of their their thing. Um, keep it in, keep the pressure on. And that, that type of hockey does win and lead to playoff success, but also line rushes. How can we be better off line rushes? How can we get our entire game, entire team into creating offense? And that's where I look at it. Again, if you can start to create, if you can get the puck out of your zone fast, 
then you're not worried about the puck in your zone. If you can start to give options and create offensively, whether it's off the line rush or in zone, then you're starting to lap and, and you're getting off to the races. But again, it comes from comes from getting a save from Markstrom. It comes from getting it from the D to the forwards fast. It comes from getting to a guy like Huberto who's confident, not second-guessing if he can turn over and not going to get on for the next shift, right? He needs to be confident. He needs to be entering the zone knowing he has four or five options, and if option A and B doesn't work and he takes a risk with option C, that he's still going to get out the next shift if he turns it over, right? There's a lot of things that go into it, but that's, that's where it comes to me. I love, we're talking to Chris Verstegen, I love talking to you because you, you're not just uh, someone who played in the league for a long time, but you're also, um, with the X's and O's of the game, That I don't know if there's a former player that I've talked to that that can be as good at describing it and, and helping us in the media understand, you know, those options that you're talking about. And in that vein, you've started something that I think, you know, a lot of hockey fans uh, should be very interested in, especially if you've got a kid playing in the game and you want them to get better. Tell us about Clever, because I think this is a really interesting concept. Yeah, so Clever, at the end of my career, my agent was wanting me to look at clips of, you know, younger athletes, 12, 13, 14, all the way up to junior, um, teach them, and then, you know, share them back to those athletes. And, and basically what used to take an hour, I can now get a clip from an athlete, teach it, and share it back in seconds. So what we've done is we've streamlined the clip, edit, and share process. I use it with my academy. Uh, I use it with my own kids. So basically I can get a clip of my kid. I could be like, hey, man, look at you here, look at this, look at your stick position. Or even a friend could send me a clip, and I could teach it over, voice it over, and share it back. Um, we've created a lot of other cool little features in it, the digital whiteboards. We actually have a lot of teams using even pro teams now where you could, you know, instead of those um, desktop versions of creating drills, now you can just hit the record button, the hockey whiteboard pops up. You can draw on it, voice it over, record what your drills are going to be for that practice, whatever it may be, send it off to your coaches and athletes, and now there's more interaction. So what Clever is, it's just a real interactive platform. It's, uh, you know, it's trying to democratize sport tech where it's way too expensive. A lot of teams can't even get on certain sport tech platforms because of the price, and, and that's what we're trying to do. So it's, uh, it, there's a lot to it, but the way, again, it started was just trying to streamline that clip, edit, and share process, and that's what we've done all in one platform. And it's clever with a K, and it's, is it, it's an app as well as a website. Is that correct? Uh, so it's K-L-E-V-R dot A-I, and it's on iOS at the moment, so iPad and iPhone, uh, working on possibly getting an Android version out, hopefully uh, in the new year. That's our goal. But uh, you can go on the website, learn more about us. If you want to book a demo, obviously I'd come on a live demo with you, your organization, your team. We're doing partnerships now. And uh, you can always book that through the KLEVR.ai website. And, yeah, and if anyone wants to learn more uh, about it. Awesome. All right. Chris Versteeg, thank you for your time, my man. I appreciate it. would love to catch up with you again real soon. Good luck with uh, Clever, and uh, we'll talk to you down the road. Awesome. Anytime, Eric. And, again, I know I brought it up last time. I have a purple suit for you. It is looking good. And anytime you want to no. borrow it, let me know. No one should wear a purple suit except for you. You rock that thing with the white, the brightest white runners I've ever seen on. Was that trade deadline day or deadline I can't remember day. when? Yeah. yeah, that's it's hanging in a museum somewhere. I hope because that yeah, thing is a beauty and purple. Yeah, beautiful. Bringing back yeah. the purple. All right, Chris. Appreciate it, my man. Take care. Take care. All right, that was Chris. He's brought to you on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar Hotline, the 14-time Consumer Choice Award winner. For takeout or delivery, call 403-248-3344 or dine in at Atlas Pizza, 6060 Memorial Drive, Northeast.
the Eric Francis Show is brought to you by Horse Racing Alberta. The annual Christmas market's happening December 3rd and 4th at Century Downs from 11 to 4 p.m. with over 60 local crafters and artisans. Admission is free. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back with a familiar name and voice. His name is Pat Steinberg, and I don't necessarily want to talk about the state of the flames right now. I want to talk about his career because it all started for me. My relationship with Pat started when I heard him one day on a Vipers broadcast many, many years ago, and he was so impressive and clearly so young. I called the program director and I said, who is this guy? I need to know more about him. He is amazing at his job. And we're going to go from there. Okay, we're going to take a break. We'll be back with Pat Steinberg. You're listening to the Eric Francis Show on Sports at 960, The Fan. This is the Eric Francis Show, brought to you by Horse Racing Alberta on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. All right, there it is. That's the kind of music you can expect to hear from DJ Firestarter, a.k.a. Pat Steinberg, our next guest. Uh, <laughs> Pat has been a staple on the Calgary Airwaves for a long time. And uh, I love chatting with him. We do it every Friday, him and I. And, uh, and I love, you know, shooting the breeze with him here at the rink all the time. But he's a guy who uh, I'm not sure people know much of his background, like what he does for fun, uh, how he got to where he is today. I think he's 21 years old right now, uh, but he's still been in the business for, you know, uh, you know, about 20 years. It, no, I don't know. We're going to get into all that stuff with him. Uh, we're going to join him on the Atlas Pizza Hotline. Pat, are you there, my friend? I'm good. Can you hear me? I can hear you, my man. Oh, imagine we don't have any technical difficulties right now. That's great. Wow. Um, thanks for doing this. I, I'm sure that uh, you've gone through all this with other people when you do. You know, I hear you on uh, Spit and Chicklets and E60 and uh, all those shows where they're talking about your career and your legacy and all that. But for the people here, can you tell them a little bit about how you got started? Because I... I told the story just briefly before we went to break about how I heard you doing Vipers broadcasts many, many years ago. Like, how, uh, you can tell me what year that was, but, you know. And so that I, was, uh, that was 2004. It was, uh, it was summer of 04. How old were you? Or summer of 05, sorry, summer of 05. I was uh, 19. Yeah, so it would have been summer of. 19. I was 19 years old, yep. I that is even, amazing. I, like, I couldn't, couldn't even drink in 90% of the places we went because they were mostly we went Edmonton, Winnipeg and Canada and everywhere else was in um, was in the Midwest United States like Chicago and surrounding areas and Nebraska, and North Dakota and like, so so no I couldn't I couldn't even go have fun. We were we were talking about how important it is to go have fun on the road a little earlier. I couldn't even do that when when I was doing those games. That okay, so you're traveling all over doing play-by-play as a 19-year-old and, and I don't care if it's the Vipers and, and listenership is probably quite low, if we're going to be honest about it. But at the, the reality is you're living a dream that so many young broadcasters or hopefuls uh, couldn't even fathom living, no matter what the age is. It, it, take me back. Is this something you've always wanted to do, be a broadcaster? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, without question, I was... Uh... I don't know, from the age of like 11 or 12. That's all I, I wanted to. Uh, I wanted to be a radio jock. Um, like I wanted to be an FM radio jock. I wanted oh, to do nice. Matt and Eric in the morning. Uh, <laughs> and I wanted to like intro songs and 
hit music posts. Like that was that was what I wanted to do for the longest time. And then at some point, I was like, no, you know what? I, I really like sports is what I want to do. And then um, like Ryan Leslie makes fun of me for this all the time because I used to um, I used to have like my own fake radio station in my bedroom at home, and I did. I did like my my fake radio show every day after school on the dot 5:30 p.m. hosted a, a show about the NHL for nobody just for me to listen to wow. and uh yeah and then so that's that's so that that's that's how I uh that's what I used to like get myself into sate I was like look at how committed I am and look at how how much I care about this and then yeah I went from sate and then uh did as much sports as I could there and then was able to somehow land a job pretty quickly after school. Did a, did a practicum in uh, in Grand Prairie, Alberta, and then was able to land a job at uh, the place that I'm still working at now. Literally, that was in May of 2004, smack dab in the middle of the playoff run is when I started at uh, at 960. And you were opping, doing just doing the board. Yeah, I was. Uh, I started doing overnights. I would work from which, which we don't even have that. That shift doesn't exist anymore. I did midnight till eight a.m. or ten p.m. till six a.m. and I did that. And you'd like uh, you'd take over for whoever the evening guy was. So if Rob Kerr was going long on phone calls, you'd you'd take over and start taking phone calls and finishing off Rob's show. And then you'd get ready for the morning show. So you'd prep everything for. Mike Richards and and that was yeah that was that was all it was and then um, at some point I sent Kirsch a demo of me doing a, a 2020 sports update and uh, the Rocket was like oh yeah oh, yeah okay you got a decent sound that sounds slick uh, and then and then was able to get a little bit of uh, a little bit of on air time like once in a while and then I just uh, I just was relentless I would not stop bothering that guy the longest time about hey can I have an opportunity here what about this what about that so that that's that's honestly how it uh how it started and at some point when you annoy a human being that long they're gonna <laughs> relent that's uh how I get anything in my life so no that's uh, that's uh that's all. and then and then a couple of couple of good breaks people leaving or people moving around or people getting jobs and uh there i was like that cockroach you couldn't get rid of me and then oh well you got to give it to somebody so steinberg's still here so that's 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 honestly that's honestly how uh, any of any of uh my first three or four opportunities came about just because i would not leave the guy alone so you, you mentioned curse that's kelly curse he was a longtime program mm-hmm. director who gave you your break and that's the guy i called and said, who is this kid? Where'd you find him? And all this sort of stuff. And I really uh, believe that a guy like that, I mean, to give you that break at age 19, again, the Vipers isn't exactly a big deal. And obviously it's long gone, but uh, you must have felt like you'd hit the proverbial home run in life when you got that gig. Oh, man. It was, well, because I had, I had never traveled in my life i think the furthest i'd ever been 
was to Edmonton. Uh, at least, at least it's like somebody who could remember. The furthest I'd ever been is to Edmonton, and the next thing you know, you're trying. I'd never, I'd never like as a, a sentient human, like as a child, I did, but not that I could remember. I'd never been on an airplane before or anything. So, at, so at the age of nineteen, <laughs> there I am Amazing. traveling with a uh, with a former major league baseball player who was the manager at the time of the Vipers. His name was. Um, I, I, did you cover that team at all? Did you do anything with them? The odd time, no, just went. The odd time when some when someone special would come back into town or something. no, I I don't think I did anything really with the okay Vikings, no. I so miss the guy him, the guy who managed him was was Mike Bush. He played for the Dodgers. He was one of the uh, oh yeah. He was one of the guys that he was like a scab. He came he he played during the strike and he was one of the guys who crossed the picket line, which kind of ended his chances of being a major leaguer once you do that but he he played in the majors and and wore a Dodgers uniform and all that type of stuff anyway he was the he was the manager and here here I get to the airport at 6 a.m. and I'm in this 19 year old who's you know maybe been to a bar two or three times and I'm like <laughs> players and and managers and coaches they're all drinking at the bar it's like 6 30 in the morning for an 8 a.m. flight and I'm like what what is happening and uh we the the first place we went was into Chicago for three spots in and around the the Chicago metro area. First place, we didn't even go into Chicago. First place we go is Gary, Indiana, and it was at the time, uh, I think it's much better now, but at the time when I was there, it was the murder capital of the United (laughs) States. And it was like, it was the most (laughs) jarring experience of my life. We were staying at uh, the, the Trump international hotel in, in Gary. And I remember I was, uh, we got home from an extra innings game. So I would have called like four games by this time. We, we get home from an extra innings game and nothing's open. You know, everything's closed. Pizza delivery's closed. Like, nothing was open. But there was a 24-hour White Castle across the parking lot. And, you know, I'm like, well, I've seen that movie. And uh, White Castle with the small little burgers. I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to go. And I went to exit the hotel. And the guy at the front desk locked the door on me. He goes, where do you think you're going? I'm like, oh, I'm just going to go to the White Castle over there. And he goes, you got a car? And I said, no, it's across the parking lot. He's like, no, I'm not letting you out. You'll get mugged if you go over. And it was literally like across the parking wow. lot. It was in the same. And he's like, no, you will get mugged if you cross the parking lot. So I'm not going to let you do that. So I didn't eat that night because that was the only thing that was open. And I didn't have a car. They didn't do delivery. Skip the dishes didn't exist. So, um, yeah, it was the most jarring experience. But, yeah, it was it was so cool. Like, you're running your own broadcast. You're doing it on. And, and, and as a Calgary born and raised kid and, and and kid is the right word to use at the time mm-hmm. i was like 140 pounds soaking wet um <laughs> yeah but at least like at least i've put a little bulk on since you got then. A I had glasses that it, were yeah. too big for my face and um like you could tell that i wasn't the most uh I wasn't the most like socially active guy. Anyway, you're doing your own broadcast and you're 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 prepping and and it was like yeah, I was it was like I was in the majors and I'm doing it on the radio station that I had dreamt of working for my entire life. Well, not my entire life, but when it first started here as as 960 the team, uh, which I think was like in the very early 2000s, maybe even late 90s, mm-hmm. they tried doing that team network across yeah. the across the country, and it was horrible. It didn't work but we we kept our station 
and 960 turned into uh, a Roger station, and then we branded it the fan, and and you know that was the station I because I I had listened to. The, the first ever sports radio in this city was on 66 CFR. It was Sports Talk with Jock and Jock Wilson, and he was the Calgary Flames host. And you had the, the Hot Stove Lounge after hockey games, and it was going to bed listening to Marr and Rogers, or, or before even Mike Rogers started, Marr and, and Doug Barkley. And mm-hmm. they would always play shows late at night uh, after they, they they would go to like from six o'clock on or whenever jocks show started at four o'clock they went from their oldies format to a sports radio format so then they'd play Jim Rome at la- late at night and that's how I got hooked on Rome and and I was a full-on clone and and uh, still am because I would listen to that show on tape delay they'd play a whole four-hour show with no commercials so you'd get it done in like 90 minutes or whatever it was <laughs> and oh yeah it was awesome and so then they kind of transitioned all that over to 960 and yeah that's the place I wanted to work for my entire life so now I'm doing these games as much as they were useless and you know nobody was listening probably and and very few people were going to the games and it was a very short-lived sporting venture in this city it was still like dream come true I'm on this radio station yeah. full time I'm, I'm on daily it was amazing open doors for you and uh you know it's just an amazing start for you and and from there we're talking to uh, a young broadcast hopeful pat steinberg uh he's <laughs> can be heard afternoons on this radio station and i who were your who were your idols like you you, you mentioned peter marr must have been someone you definitely looked up to who else uh, jim jim rome yeah so it was marr without a without question because i would uh marr jock wilson um and and Jim Rome were the three and then Rob Kerr started Rob Kerr started I think in in fall 2003 so I was still listening a lot to the station and then certainly when I when I got the opportunity uh Rob would have been the guy because you know he was the guy at the radio station and was was really invested in helping you know, grow young broadcasters and, and making broadcasters better and kind of being like a mentor and stuff like that. So those would probably be the four. Um, it's it's weird even still, like, you know, even I, I haven't covered a Stampeders game in a long time, but even being at Stamps games five, six years ago and, you know, seeing in the front row, there's Jock and, you know, he's still doing his thing over at 770. And it's like, oh, geez, like that's Jock Wilson. I, I used to like, I idolized that guy. And now here I am sharing a press box with the guy. And, and <laughs> same was true when you're, you're sitting, I got to I got to do two seasons working with Mar, one season working with Mar and Rogers, and they're like, "Geez, I like I'm sitting here and Peter Mar is is saying my name and like he's he's throwing over to me to do an out of town scoreboard and all that type of stuff." Uh, those would be the four though, cool. and and you know I've never I've never had the opportunity to meet Jim Rome, but he was the guy he was the guy because I I think I really wanted to do play by play for the longest time. And, you know, I got that opportunity to do baseball. And I've done a little hockey here and there. Uh, but it's not – I don't think it's it's really my forte. Like, I, I don't I, – I enjoy it, but I don't know if I'm really all that good at it. So, Jim Rome was the one that got me into, like, wanting to be a sports talk host and, and having takes and being edgy. And, well, I'm not really – edgy or anything like that now it just he was the guy that was like yeah okay that's that's what I'd really like to do is like go on and give opinions and just talk about sports and and now here I am doing it and it's uh it's neat it's cool and and to still be doing it at the radio station that I uh I always wanted to work for and um even now as we're kind of 
changing it into a, you know, we're doing radio and podcasts and, and marrying it together. It's just, it's neat. It's neat that I'm still doing it and that I somehow have been able to make somewhat of a living doing it because it was always what I wanted to do, but it never really, it never really felt attainable, right? You're like, well, I, I want to yeah. do this. And you've got all these, you've got all these big thoughts in your head about, um, oh, I can, I could host a show and I could, well, this would be a good segment if I hosted a show. And now you've actually got the opportunity to do it. It's, it's, uh, it's neat. It's still, uh, it's still surreal sometimes. You know, I, 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 I was going to ask you if you get stopped in the street or recognize him, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to couch it by, by saying this. You know, I couldn't believe when I did morning radios on Jack FM how many people would stop and talk to me or recognize me, but it wasn't so much recognizing my face. It was my voice. Like I could right. be at a dry cleaner and just say, thanks so much. Uh, see you next week or whatever. And, and someone would record. And I thought, how on earth is a voice? Uh, is it something that you could recognize just by hearing it live? Anyway, clearly that must happen to you a ton. It's all the, the, the ones who the, the voices always cab drivers or Uber drivers. They're like, wait a second. <laughs> I listen to you all. Are you the guy who takes the calls at night? Uh, no because way. you know a, a cab driver or an Uber driver, you know they're they're dropping off drunks at 1:30 in the morning. Uh, sometimes me, and they're they're probably listening to the Colin show, yeah. which is going late. And um, so that that's when that's when you get it from from the voice. Normally, normally people are just like, oh, there's a guy who looks like McLovin. I'll go wonder. And and honestly, <laughs> that that's happened like multiple times. They're like, oh yeah, I can kind of see. Are you are you that guy? I can kind of see it. And then you know your self worth drops just a little bit more. And no. I've I've literally had dudes. It's always dudes. And I've literally had gentlemen come up to me. And 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 I I'll, I'll remember it vividly. Like I was, it was a boxing day and I'm at Lululemon at Chinook and I'm just going through the sales and seeing like, okay, what, uh, what's good? What do they have in large that could fit that I would wear? And it's final sale, but you're like, oh, $40 off Lulu. You never get that. And <laughs> a guy just comes up to me and starts rifling through the sale rack at the same time. And just without like, hey man, I'm Steve, big list, just like right into, what do you think about the freaking flames? They're uh, that, that game last night. And you're like, how? I, do I, and then you're like, you're going through your head. You're like, wow. okay, do I yeah. know this guy? Do I know this guy? Mm -hmm. do you know and then eventually you got to be like, hey, I'm Pat, by the way. And they're like, oh, I know who you are. It was, it's, it's, that's, uh, that's kind of the, which I, I think it's so cool. Like it really yeah. is um, a straight up, because I, I still, people always ask like, oh, do you, do you enjoy taking the phone call still? I'm like, yeah, I, I do. I like, I enjoy I enjoy just talking to people and, and having the opportunity to be a part of the the hockey community and, and the sports community in this city. And so I love it. Whenever people are always like, if, if they ever come up to me, or even people who know me who then want to ask about hockey, I don't want to ask about hockey. I know it's your job. I'm like, no, I'm, like, I'm, I'm happy to talk exactly. about that. I love it. So, I, I'm um, the same yeah, way. Yeah, it's neat. I, it's neat. I, I'm the same way. People come up and, oh, you probably don't want to talk about the Flames. No, I love it. That's what I do. It's our passion. Uh, we're both totally invested in in this organization and in this sport. So, uh, and I always still find it flattering when people, you know, think enough of of, of you, me or you to, to 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 ask our opinion on 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 the team or, or just start talking about it. I have no problem with that at all. Tell me tell me about your most memorable moments on the radio or in your career. Like, there have to be moments where everything went completely sideways or everything went perfectly or you know your thoughts on on, on memorable moments. Well, 
So, like, the, the Jerome Ginla trade will always be number one. Uh, I, I, I've told this story a couple. I, I've told this story a couple of times, but like you remember the the whole Aginla day. We knew Crazy he was getting night. traded because he was yeah. scratched that night, and then the entire Did- day or the entire game, we're wondering where he's going, and we all think he's going to Boston. Remember, Aaron yeah. Ward said mm-hmm. deal's done. He's going to Boston. It's happening, and now we're trying to do these this research on the players that they're getting. Like who's Bartkowski? Who's Koklachev? Was the other guy? And so we're to, but there's nothing, there's nothing. And then game's over. And about five minutes after the game ends, we get an email from Peter Hanlon says, um, you know, general manager Jay Feaster will be addressing the media. At, uh, I think it was like 1130 PM that night. And we're like, okay. And so now we're in the hot stove lounge and, and you're in there right now. And you, you see how it looks. There's a, there's a board with on-off switches and faders. Well, in the old hot stove lounge, before the flood, there was just a, a console with no on or off. It was kind of in the middle, and there were dials. You had to turn dials up and dials. down to bring people on. And so there was no mute button. There was no off button. And so I forgot to turn my level down, and... We got an email before Jay Feaster had announced that Jerome's going to Pittsburgh, and we get an email that says he's going to Pittsburgh, and I'm reading it, and I didn't have my mic on my headset off, and I just said on the air in the middle of uh, Jay Feaster talking, I said, Pittsburgh? And that was before that was before he had announced that he's going to Pittsburgh. So I spoiled it for anybody who was listening on the radio that day because they heard me with my mic still on saying Pittsburgh. So that, that one I, I botched horribly. Um I've said some other stupid things on the radio, I'm sure, that uh, a couple of terms that I I probably shouldn't have used and and, uh, uh, would would regret using, but luckily I'm I'm okay now. Um, And and honestly, one of the coolest moments ever was doing the lead-up to Jerome getting his jersey retired. And it was maybe one of the the proudest moments, and this is just straight-up nerd stuff, but... We got the timing from Steve Edgar over at uh, the the presentation crew and the events crew. So Steve Edgar gave us the timing as to, okay, we are starting the Jerome Ginla ceremony at whatever it was exactly at this time. And usually those things start right on time, like within a second or two. And so we did this entire one-hour, 90-minute pregame, getting ready for Jerome, having his, his jersey retired, and the last minute, I kind of just did this little soliloquy that I'd written out in point form about like, here's what he accomplished and here's what he did and here's what he meant to the city. And now it's time to celebrate Jerome McGinley as he gets his jersey retired at the Scotiabank Saddledome. And literally, as soon as I said it, the ceremony started. It was as if it was perfect. And I remember mm-hmm. it. I was like, I was so proud that it was one of the, the <laughs> coolest moments that I was ever a part of just because it was such a big deal. It was such an awesome night. Aside from the game that happened afterwards, that, that night, that, that ceremony with Mar and Conroy and all the guys out there. It was so neat. And Lanny voicing it. Um, and so to to be able to throw to it perfectly like that is still one of the coolest things that that I've ever done. And uh, it was just, it was neat because sometimes it doesn't happen that way. Sometimes st- something starts 45 seconds early or 45 yeah. seconds late and it's just not as clean as you'd like it. And this was, this was perfect. It was, it was so neat because you just knew that every Flames fan that wasn't in the building was either watching or listening at mm-hmm. that time because everybody wanted to see Jerome get his jersey retired and, and to be a part of, of that moment itself so that, that was really neat 
the irony of you telling that story right now about the timing is that uh, we're three minutes over right now because of your <laughs> story. And well, so, that's what, that's ask ask Art uh, ask Art Factora about my timing, and then he uh, about a, once a week he's like, "Yeah, could you get a little bit closer to 55?" Yeah, it's probably not gonna happen. Yeah, we blew that one out of the water. Uh, we didn't even get into uh, DJ Firestarter. I keep joking about that, but I know you were DJ Powerplay. Everyone knows DJ that. DJ Powerplay. Who's ever been in a hot club uh, with you spinning the wheels of steel? I, I, we didn't even get into that. And next time we have you on, I want you to delve a little more into your. Done. Life I'll tell you. I'll tell you about DJ. the Coyotes days. Oh my God! I love that you did it there. That's amazing. <laughs> Pat, I appreciate it, my man. Thank you. Congratulations on what's so far a great career. I really do admire your work, and uh, I appreciate you taking us behind the curtain to talk a little bit about how you got to be so good. Thanks, my man. Bye, buddy. We'll talk soon. That's Pat Steinberg, and that's the Eric Francis Show. We got to go because he, he kept going on and on. I'm just kidding. Uh, it's brought to you by Horse Racing Alberta. Tickets now on sale for New Year's Eve, Las Vegas-themed burlesque show. Desert a dessert buffet and mid champagne toast included for only 85 bucks. We'll do it all again next week at one o'clock here on Sports at 960 The Fan. Enjoy your afternoon, everybody. Thanks for listening.